Hi, welcome back to Prey vs. Predator. We have an amazing guest, which all of you, if you've been a part of our community, you're well aware of Carla Shohet, who has been a guest two previous times, who is our guest today again for a third amazing episode. Carla is a trauma and narcissist abuse recovery psychologist, as well as so many other things. Can you quickly just tell us again who you are for anybody listening to this for the first time? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me back. I am a trauma and narcissistic abused recovery uh, psychologist, as you rightly said. I'm also a somatic therapist, a brain spotting practitioner, and a positive psychology coach. And what all that means is that I uh, help people with root cause resolution, not just symptoms management. And and anybody who hasn't heard the first uh, two episodes that we did with you in the past, go back and listen because... Mm -hmm. Boy, there is so many brilliant moments that we made connections. We have questions. It seems like every time we meet with you, we are we are left with more burning questions <laughs> um, because um, I just notice when I'm talking with you, uh, I, I notice what's sort of alive in me and, and I want to know more and I want to have more information from you because you have this way of really being able to teach uh what's going on for your in your body and and why as prey we often are in these positions that we're in and how we get in these positions and also the work that you do is sort of how to get out of that um now you also do this very specific work in in breaking generational trauma and and cycles of abuse can you tell us a little bit about what exactly you do in that area? And and then I think we have some more burning questions, if you don't mind answering. <laughs> so if you want to tell us a, a little bit about this really specific area that you work in and, and then go from there. Yeah. So I work with uh, a lot of mums. That's for two reasons. One, because I am one and because I had a mother wound starting this process of healing myself somatically. And I really, really do feel that as mothers, we have a responsibility and also the power to be able to really, really stop the cycle with us. When we heal ourselves and we don't pass it down to our children, that actually heals the next seven generations because intergenerational trauma has been proven by epigenetic research to be passed down for up to seven generations. And I think as we go forward with that research, we will find out that's probably even further than that. Yeah, that's because so... Because trauma doesn't just start when you're born. It can be embedded in your genes as you're born into the world. So interesting. We we have a listener who um, sent us a question a few weeks ago, and she was saying that, that her mom is a predator, and, and um, she sees that she has learned predatory behaviors simply because that's what she knew as normal growing up. And now that she is a mom, she wants to stop that cycle and, and she does not want to pass those predatory behaviors onto her kids. But but she feels like, what can she do to unlearn those unhealthy behaviors when that's really all she knows? Right. So, yeah, I mean, it makes total sense, right? We we all learn because of mirror neurons. This is what we know that we do as humans. We learn by copying, by mirroring. You know, that's how we learn to walk. I doubt there was anyone there saying, you know, right, left, you watched, 
you saw the opportunity for you to do the same. You tried and you learned those behaviors, right? You learned to walk. And that's how we learn. And depending on how many mirror neurons we're born with, some people more, some people less, we are more uh, better learners in, in terms of mirroring than, than others. Now, when you were born and raised in a family that had lots of toxic family dynamics, whether that's a narcissistic parent or you know an abusive family member of another kind, you can pick up those behaviors because like your, your listener said, yes, that is your version of normal. You don't know any better. All you know is what you see and what you experience as you're growing up. Okay. And I can absolutely resonate with that because I had a lot of, you know, and I say this without any shame now, but I was extremely narcissistic growing up. Mm. I cut people off. I made people angry on purpose. I shut people down. I would look at people in the face, stone cold and walk away. The only difference is that I wasn't a narcissist. I was copying narcissistic behaviors that I'd learned mm. in my environment and that didn't sit well with me. And I absolutely felt so much remorse and so much disgust in myself when I did those behaviors, but I couldn't help myself, but do those behaviors out of loyalty from my family. And I would repair whenever I could. And I have repaired lots of relationships because of those uh, behaviors that I was doing autom automatically because I didn't know how to do anything else. You know, I used to be very abusive in arguments. In fact, it's with my current husband who I've been with since I was, you know, uh, in my early twenties, who one day said to me, you do know I still love you when we have arguments because you're really abusive. And I used to do the whole kind of walking away, slamming the door and not giving them enough. I, I used to use swear words and I used to be really, really demeaning. Uh, because I, that's what I'd experienced. I didn't know how to handle any any conflict any other way. Yeah. And when I felt hurt by people and I felt maybe abandoned and, you know, they triggered my inner wounds, I would be extremely aggressive because that's also what I experienced in my extended family. That's what you do. You shout, you scream to make yourself heard and you project your pain outwards. That's what I'd received and that's what I was then. The, the, my only saving grace was that, you know, I was actually you know, I obviously had a lot of, this wasn't my nature. I wasn't born this way because narcissistic people are not born. They're made by their environment. Okay. I was lucky enough, I think, to be born with lots of, you know, mirror neurons, which meant that, you know, I was able to, to be more of an empath rather than go down the narcissist route. And I, and I, and I, this is not scientifically based by any means. It's not been researched enough for me to make, make the statement that what separates, what, what makes a child in a, in a toxic family become a narcissist mm -hmm. or, a, or, a, or a codependent. Mm. In my personal opinion is the amount of mirror neurons that you have in your body, but that's just my own opinion. It's not based on any evidence. And, you know, I'm really, really curious if there will be more research into this. What is, what, what, what can make this person go one way or another? That's the one thing that has not been proven um, scientifically yet. Because you, you can't, you can't change a person who's like what you would call a narcissist and what we would call a predator. It, it's from what I'm understanding, it doesn't, it can't switch off if you're an adult. Is that correct from your understanding as well? In terms of a narcissist, yes, but that's not because, that's because the very definition of narcissism is that there is no ownership of their own wounds. And therefore, they will never look at themselves in the mirror and go, right, okay, let me have a look inside and see where, where can I improve? They just don't have that capability. They just don't. They, they don't have the ability to do that. They, they, their nervous system won't allow it because it's too, too painful. Their narcissists are the most 
deeply wounded individuals that there are. And they are made by their environment, usually by a narcissistic parent or a narcissistic environment in early developmental stages. Um, the difference is a codependent is very much the opposite where they develop, you know, lots of in, in, introspection and they constantly question, you know, what can I do to be better? What can I, you know, they have all these kind of kind of saving behaviors and wanting to take responsibility that isn't theirs as well. How do we unlearn those behaviors like practically? So that's why I was laughing earlier because this is, you asked me, you know, um, you know, can we unlearn those behaviors? Yeah. Yes. My, I, I've shared with you guys and you've allowed me to share it here that my podcast is called Time to Unlearn for this very reason, because the process of healing is unlearning subconscious behavioral patterns that we learned when we didn't have choice. <laughs> okay. And so to go and become aware, consciously aware of those patterns that don't serve us in our life and unlearn those mechanisms and show our nervous system that there are other ways that are also safe for us to behave that are healthier for us. So the process of healing somatically is first a process of unlearning and then relearning. Because a lot of the time, you know, your your listener that mentioned her um, behavioral patterns, that we're not, we're often not consciously aware we're doing those things. A lot of us think, oh yeah, no, I won't do that thing that my parent used to do to me because that's, you know, I'm going to do it different when I become a parent. And yet you find time and time again, you find yourself, you know, doing those things and thinking, oh my gosh, I remind, you yeah, remind myself of my own mother, you know. And we do that because it is, you know, subconscious imprinting. It's our, it's, it's, it's a, it's a kind of a library of how to, you know, that we have inbuilt that is subconscious. We're not in, you know, until we become consciously aware and bring awareness to it, we cannot change it. But once we do become awareness, that's why I'm sure this is this is a very commonly used phrase. Aware, awareness is always the first step to mm. anything. <laughs> if you're not aware, you just can't change anything. But if you become aware of things that you don't like about yourself or things that are perhaps not the best, you know, or healthiest parenting ways or behavioral ways in any side of your life and an aspect of your life, you can change them on a nervous system level, not through mindset. You cannot think yourself out of these patterns because these mm. are these are patterns that are subconscious. So you need to work in your subcortical parts of the brain to access those subconscious, you know, beliefs that drive your behavior. And you have to rewire them. So, you know, we go through a process of that I call somatic belief reprogramming where we look at events and experiences and we kind of look at it from a different, you know, from a different perspective. We don't change the event or the memory. We just change the way we look at it to create a different belief about ourselves around that. So that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. it does. Uh, it does. And I'm trying to explore it in my mind right now, but you were talking about becoming aware of those habits, those patterns, those, but when you're talking about intergenerational trauma, it's imprinting, right? And so how do you become aware of something that's imprinted on you? Because, you know, like I'm thinking of grandparents that were in the war, you know, and you that is trauma right there. So it has an effect on, like you were saying, seven generations, even, you know, if you're talking about different parts of the world with um, colonialism and uh, indigenous people have been treated by oppressing, you know, how many generations we have to go back to heal that. And how do you do that? How do you become aware of something that your great, great grandfather experienced, you know? By intentional inner healing work. So that's one of the processes that I take my clients through. Um, one of the the exercises, if you like, that we do is a self to parts genogram. 
So we start looking back at the generation as far as we can go. Sometimes, you know, you don't have memory of it or you don't have the information. That's okay. But most people have an awareness of, you know, what their parents are like, the first, the primary caregivers and maybe the grandparents in terms of how they parented their parents. So it's not about, you know, what your granddad or your grandma were like to you as as a grandchild, but what were they like to them as to your parents as, as their parents? Because that's the generational trauma that gets passed down, right? So, and 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 remember, I think I shared this with you in episode one together, in our first episode together. It, trauma isn't just something that we experience directly; it can be stories. So, if you and and we see we saw this in you know Black Lives Matter here, um, where you know there are kids that are bred and born in this country, um, of black origin, previous to to their parents even but they still carry kind of slavery trauma in them mm. as if they've experienced it directly because they've heard the stories and stories, you know, we learn so much from stories, but we also acquire a lot of trauma from stories as well. You know, money, money story, right? Trauma. You know, we end up doing what we learn by listening to, you know, you know, I had a client, actually, this is a really good example of, um, she said to me, you know, I never wanted to have um, a natural birth. And, you know, I, I always knew I wanted to have, a, um, you know, early pregnancy scans and I wanted to have an elective cesarean section. And I was like, okay, interesting. What, what was the reason for that? Because, oh, because before she was ever pregnant or even in a relationship, she heard a story of a friend who had had a terrible experience in giving birth. And that was it. She decided that, that became her trauma. It was so traumatic for her to listen to that story that it became her experience and what she based her decisions in her becoming pregnant on before she was even mm. considering being pregnant. And then she actually carried through with that. You know, she had such trauma around what had happened to her friend that she just couldn't feel safe in just going through a normal kind of pregnancy with normal kind of timed, timed uh, scans, et cetera. She had to have an early pregnancy scan. She had to, you know, decide that she was going to have a C-section. She needed that kind of safety. And that wasn't her trauma. She didn't experience it. She just heard the story, right? This can happen by us watching TV. It can happen by us listening to our grandparents' stories of, you know, being the war times. It can happen because we've experienced financial difficulties that our parents have gone through over and over as we were, you know, um, growing up, you know, and it becomes our trauma. Hmm. And when I when I hear you say like it becomes our trauma, one of the things that I notice in in my work with um, people with trauma. Um, and it's, I'd be curious to see if you experience the same thing is I notice that there is often the pendulum swings. So let's say, you know, one parent when they were growing up was tremendously physically abused and then they swing over to being mm -hmm. sort of extremely permissive and then their children may swing mm -hmm. over to being tremendously abusive. And so do you find that as well? Like so sometimes it's. It's it, you think you're doing something different because it's the exact opposite of the trauma you grew mm. up with, and yet it's the flip side of the same coin, so to speak. Like, do you see that a lot? And then how do you break that pattern? Because yeah. those people are trying to break the pattern by doing the opposite, and yet it often produces. I find it fascinating how much it produces the same level of dysfunction. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's all patterns, isn't it? And that's what we do when we look at intergenerational trauma with my clients. We literally look at a lineage of behaviors. Okay. So your dad was, uh, you know, uh, shouty. Uh, and then we, we, 
every time we see that one of the parents in his you know lineage was shouted and then one of the great grandparents was shouted there's always a lineage of trauma or behavioral patterns so what you're describing yes absolutely that pendulum i like the way that you described it as a pendulum because it's cause and effect isn't it and what that highlights is 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 parenting from a trauma response mm -hmm. so if you had very very strict parents who were super boundary to a ridiculous extent you're going to go the opposite way probably and you can't be balanced and you're going to be really permissive boundaryless and that makes children feel very very insecure and therefore they have high risk behaviors and they become abusive mm. and you know and vice versa that's exactly it. and this this pendulum is just another way of highlighting that generational trauma that unless it gets resolved and it just kind of sits within your subconscious you will go either one way it's like you know it's like a pendulum, like you said, it's not, there's no balance in between. There is no, you know, it's all one way or all the other, which is never, you know, we, we need balance in life in everything. So um, I, I know, I know for a lot of our listeners, a lot of our listeners are people who are prey and they have been exposed to abuse from predators and they have children who have been exposed to abuse from predators. And we were talking in our second episode about how um, once you've been traumatized at a certain level by predatory behavior, you become very reactive. And I'm assuming like, like the children are then very reactive and it would become very difficult, I think, um, to how do you work with or do you work with the, the, a traumatized parent and then the, the traumatized children who may sometimes act predatory towards let, let's say the mom, um, and in this case, so the mom has a high, high trigger, uh, is triggered by, let, let's say, yelling or, or abusive behavior. But let's say the kids have also learned this behavior. And now you've got kids triggering the parent. Do you, do you, it gets very messy very quickly. Do you work with those people? Because, and, and if so, what are the things that stick out to you in that work? Absolutely. I was having a com conversation with a lady today who was saying, you know, she's been separating from a narcissistic partner and her five-year-old child comes home and uses the same language that he's watched his father mm -hmm. use towards her, you know, profanity. And, you know, it's, it's you know, she's like, oh, how am I going to deal with this? And how you deal with it is by healing yourself. Because when you have the nervous system capacity and you've healed your self-worthiness wound and, and, and those words don't trigger a, a trauma response in you because you know you're not a beep, 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 <laughs> okay? And it doesn't affect you on a body. You, don't, you have no sensation. This is the bit that people struggle to understand. Healing isn't about never being triggered um, or, you know, living in fairyland. I'm now healed. There is no such destination. It's a, a long kind of lo lifelong process, and it's a gift, actually. But when you start to heal the inner wounds that say those horrible things about you, like I'm not good enough, I'm not intelligent or I'm not whatever, I'm not something, I'm I'm lacking in something. And someone, so if someone said to me, Carla, you're really stupid. <laughs> my Literally my response would be just like, okay, whatever, you know, I, I'd probably be curious as what made you say that, you know, it just doesn't trigger me. But if they said something, but if I had an inner wound that said, I'm not intelligent, oh, that would really trigger me, right? Yeah. So with your children, when they say things, children are triggering. <laughs> they're like the best because they're constantly te testing boundaries and learning. You know, that's how they learn. They they try different things, right? And if you're coming from, you know, a wounded place, and, 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 you know, that's how you get a lot of codependent parenting as well. 
where you are becoming very permissive because you know you you can't say no to your child because if you say no and then they don't love you then oh that makes you not lovable <laughs> you know and that's what perpetuates the kind of generational trauma then isn't it um that's why <laughs> you know it's so important for mums you know it's important for everybody but where i started was working with mums because we really do have the potential and the responsibility i believe personally to break that cycle with us you know we are now mothers we are adults and we and what we can do is heal ourselves so that our children don't have to suffer like we suffered when we heal our own lack of self-worthiness and our wounds we can parent from a very very good place of true self we can set boundaries without guilt making our children feel safe that someone is in charge children need boundaries they need routine they need to know that there's someone there who decides you know that this is the whole point trauma starts when we feel unsafe <laughs> in some ways in our environment as we're growing up we don't feel safe to be us we don't feel safe in in our environment because it, you know there's maybe a parent that's emotionally unavailable or abusive or they don't know how to show you love because they didn't have love you know, again, intergenerational trauma, right? We do what we know, hopefully until we do, we know better and then we do better, hopefully. Is it a class or is it a group or is it a program? So there is a group, yeah, it's, it's a group called Wild Mother on Facebook that people can, are very welcome to join. And, you know, there are mums, grandmas in there, aunts, you know, it's not just mums. There are people with, you know, relationships with children that want to improve and, and people that have trauma that are either choosing not to become mothers because of the trauma they experienced in childhood and they want to see whether maybe there is some healing they can have so they can reproduce themselves. Uh, you know, there's all sorts, but predominantly it's mums uh, wanting to, cycle breaker mums wanting to stop the suffering, you know, wanting to make sure that their children don't suffer like they did. How did you, how did you come up with that name, Wild Mother? Wild mother. It doesn't mean. <laughs> um, how did I come up that from that? It's, it's because it's the meaning behind it isn't wild as in like party, woohoo, you know, <laughs> drunk. No, it's the opposite. It's wild coming back to your roots, your true self, you know, untamed, mm. you know, undamaged, <laughs> if you like, by, you know, those negative self beliefs, you know, be, being your true self. You know, we, we all have such uniqueness to us. Um, and I, and I really, really do think that when we become mothers, we have this incredible potential to heal the world through our children, you know, through our children and our children's children and their children and their children's children, children, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause it is generational, right? So if our children can grow up feeling safe and secure and feeling loved and good enough and important, which is what we all deserve, because that's what we all are when we're born into this world. And they can feel safe that they've got someone that will always love them no matter what. We can provide, we have the ability to provide that when we can provide that for ourselves. When we know that we're lovable, when we feel lovable inside our body, we can offer love to other people. We can't do that. We can only ever love to the extent that we have self-love. Do you find that with prey personality, we talked about them being people who are prone to sort of please and appease or people pleaser type um, trauma responses. Do you find that it's hard for them to be willing and ready to do the work that they need to do, not because they don't want to, but because they're so focused, sort of hyper-focused on what their kids need 
and what everybody else around them around them needs. And just that that airplane analogy where you you don't put the kids masks on first, you put yours on first. But do you find that there's almost like this is a I'm guessing this is kind of a difficult group of individuals to get to take care of their own healing because they're so busy trying to heal everybody else. Do you find that? Yes. Yeah. And that's why my group is all about, you know, um, education. I do lots, there's lots of videos in there educating them about the nervous system so that they can understand that you're right. Mums will always do something more for someone else, especially their child than any, and we, most of us, you know, most of us codependent people pleasing, we will always be, you know, more driven in doing something that benefits someone else and it does us. So it's a conundrum, isn't it? It's like, if you've got no self-worth, how are you going to invest in your own inner healing? But once they understand the impact that their healing has on their children, it's very different. If and there's lots of mums I work with that are willing to kind of, you know, really, really commit, even though they're already exhausted, overwhelmed, when they understand they can be a better parent. And and I was, <laughs> I guess that's why Wild Mother was born, because I was exactly that parent. I was that mum where I felt like, I didn't care. I, you know, you know, being suicidal wasn't a problem for me. It was a problem because I had three kids. So I always say this to a lot of my mom clients and dad clients as well, because there are some that come and work with me as well. You know, it's our children save us and then we save them right back. Mm, that's beautiful. Our own healing, because then we become the role model that they deserve to see in life where we feel good enough. We feel that we have that inner self-confidence to know who we truly are and why we're worthy, not because we're mums. Okay. Because a lot of us push, push, you know, we become mums and then we can kind of get lost in this one facet of an identity. That's just one facet. It's not all we are. We are never just mums, you know, and it shouldn't be like that because that's a lot of pressure on the children. Right. And then they leave the nest and you're like, Oh, what, who am I now? And they have the same problem just many years later. So it's so important, you know, it, it really is. And I say this without, you know, wanting to shame or judge anyone, but it is when you become a parent, you have a responsibility to heal yourself and your children and their children and their children's children, because we're not, you're not just healing you, you're healing seven generations down the line, potentially. So that's so powerful. I mean, I think if we could speak, I think if we could speak to those parents who are in positions where they do tend to take care of everybody else before themselves. Um, let's say, let's say we've got a bunch of people listening and they're in that position right now where they're, you know, taking care of everybody else and not maybe doing this work. Um, uh, what would you say to those, to the, to the parent that's in that position right now? What would you share with them that they, I mean, the typical phrase of self-care is not, isn't selfish is essential comes to mind, but I know that doesn't hit the spot. I really do because I've been there and I'm thinking, you know, when you don't have self-worth, it's extremely difficult to find time to want to look after yourself. What I would say is that this isn't about self-care in terms of, you know, go and get your hair done, have a massage, have some time off. This is self-care to a completely different level. This is nervous system work. Okay. This is, this is life-changing root cause resolution. This is you working on being intentional about creating an incredible life that you've always deserved, always for yourself first, and then for your children. Because until your cup is full, until your heart is full and overflowing, you can't be ever abundant enough to be able to give from a good place of, from a good place. 
You know, if you're giving in order to make your children feel good so that you can feel like a good mother, that's a codependent parenting trait. You know, that doesn't say anything about you, really. It just speaks of your wounds. I, I, I've been thinking and processing what you're saying about intergenerational and even parents. And I think of, um, you were talking about the stories can be triggering for trauma and things like that passing down. But what if you come from a history of secrecy and a lot of um, generations where they don't want to talk about the things that have happened and there's parents who don't want to, um, like I think of my, you know, my family, There, there's family members, the older generation who don't want to talk about history or therapy or anything. And I don't know if there's any hope for it if you can't talk about it, but how do you get in touch with those? Inter like there is wounding, even if it's not being spoken of. Yeah, there is absolute wounding. And, you know, I have no history aside, you know, or very little beyond my parents, really. I have a few memories of my grandparents. Uh, after that, I don't, I really don't know anything. And I still was able to heal because it's, you know, you don't need anybody else to be able to heal. All you need is to understand your experiences. So you need to work on that, what that secretive environment meant for you and what, what belief was formed around that for you. Was it that they're not telling me because I'm not, I'm not trusted or I'm not important. You know, those are not true. Okay. But that's what maybe you internalized and that's the wound. Yes, we can. I mean, you know, when we look at intergenerational kind of lineage of trauma, we're not looking at it to be able to kind of, you know, point the finger or blame. We're literally just mm. looking to understand where we've come from and why we might sh be showing up the way we are. Where did these traits come from? You know, it's like looking at history, but you don't, you know, some people have absolute zero memory of their childhood whatsoever. And so they, we can't go back and maybe they were abducted. So they don't have, yeah. you know. I'm just thinking of, I think from it, like in my case, or even a lot of families, I think it's about shame. I think there's a lot of shame. And I think that can be in a way, the intergenerational trauma, the thing that's passed down is the sense and the feeling of shame, which is very interesting. Shame is what shame is, is that is the burden that the inner child carries. So it's a hundred percent linked to wounds. And if you have a wound of not good enough, it's likely that your mother or your father had that same wound and that your grandparents had that same wound and that <laughs> someone mm -hmm. in the family above had that same wound from wherever it came from. You might never find out, but the thing is you do already have awareness of that there, there is shame and therefore secrecy. Okay. That's it makes sense, right? It already makes sense. Why would there be secrecy? Because there is shame. And that's what you learn that, you you know, there's something wrong. There's something to be hidden. There's something wrong about us as a family or where we come from. And, you know, that is, is that burden that you carry with you then, you know, that's the painful bit, shame, guilt, you know, because it's coming from a place of lack. There is something wrong. I'm not whole. Mm, that's powerful. Does that makes sense. Yeah, mm -hmm. it sure does. Yeah, we don't need, we li literally don't need anyone else to heal. Even if we know nothing about our past, we can still heal. You know, it's, it's helpful to know, you know, it can be interesting. Some people don't care actually <laughs> at all. <laughs> they just want to work on their inner child and figure, figure out, you know. But the reason we do some of these exercises is literally to lift that shame, you know, to know that actually this, you were born into a place where 
shame was the standard. That's what your family kind of passed down to you, that it's shameful. Something is shameful about your family. I don't know. And I, I, I really do think that, it, you know, when you start doing this in a work, things just start clicking. And actually, one of the most amazing things is brain spotting in, in these kind of instances where you have no memory and no feelings, no nothing. Because you will see, you know, people sitting there going, yeah, I, I don't, you know, nothing. I'm feeling nothing. I don't have any memory, like numb. I mean, this is a, a, an incredible protective part of your brain. You know, people that don't remember childhood up to a certain age. There's a reason for that. It was too painful. And with brain spotting, it doesn't mean that you'll get to know the answer or what happened to me was I sexually abused and I didn't realize or I didn't know or I forgot. You know, it's not always like that. It's not that simple. It's not that straightforward. It's not linear. But you do make connections that are so mind-blowing you can't even process them verbally. <laughs> you can't explain them to people, but they make sense in your body. Mm. You know, the, 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 the speed at which, um, I can't remember the figures now when I was doing my last brain spotting training, but they told us that how many, how many millions of information pieces, the subcortical brain processes, as opposed to the prefrontal cortex, which we use most of the time, we try and analyze, overanalyze, rationalize, but actually all the information that's happening on a subcortical level, it's, it's so much greater. We just don't have the capacity you know, the critical capacity to analyze it. It's impossible because it's like, you know, a million times less. So some of this stuff you will never really make sense of in the same way that you are used to, you know, water is H2O, you know, but you'll feel it. Our, our, our listeners will be very familiar with our phrase, the body is smarter than the, than the mind. Uh, because the the body's almost more trustworthy because it it acts on this very instinctive level. And so you can't shut it up and you can't you can try to shut it up and you can try to shut it down. Um, and yet it just keeps screaming louder. So if you don't pay attention, you get yourself in real trouble. And, and this is what we were talking about in the last episode that we did together, right? We touched upon illness, physical illness and chronic mm -hmm. disease. That is a manifestation of the body speaking and you not listening. I, I, I read in a book by uh, someone called Ruth Childs. She helps uh, performers, musical performers to, uh, with brain spotting to kind of uh, cure something called focal dystonia, which is where your body kind of just can't do the fine motor movements that they were, you were able to do before because of trauma. And um, she made a, an, an, an excellent analogy. It's, it's slightly escaping me now, actually, but um, a trauma brain. Um, it's like she, she's, she put it something like this, you know, it's not verbatim, but she said, you know, it's like your relationship with yourself, your connection with yourself and your body is like, imagine you are in a really loving relationship with someone that you really, truly love and they love you back, you know, unconditionally. And it's just beautiful. It's connected. And all of a sudden you start speaking to them and they don't hear you anymore. And then you're like, hello? And they just ignore you, they blank you, and they just eventually walk away and you scream and there's no reaction there. That's the analogy that she made with us um, when we have trauma with our bodies. Mm -hmm. And that to me is very poignant because it's very, very sad because our body's constantly trying to communicate loving messages, asking us questions and telling us information. And we just have no idea. We get to a point with trauma that we have absolutely no idea. What does it feel like to feel happy? I don't know. 
What does it feel in your body? How do you know you're anxious? Oh, well, you know, just to have these thoughts. But what, what about in your body? What are you feeling in your body? Because <laughs> sensation in the body, that neuroception that we spoke about previously, happens first before anything else. I, I mean, I think that's brilliant. Like, and I and I'm just I'm I'm kind of connecting what you just said with something you said earlier, and we were sort of talking, um, sort of off air a little bit about it. Uh, you were saying about school systems, and mm-hmm. and not being able to go to the washroom, um, uh, without having to have a pass or a car to prove that you have to go to the washroom. And it's interesting because I just am having this thought of how many structures we have in place, whether that's how we teach parents to parent, um, like sort of top down hierarchical, you'll, you, you know, I say jump, you say how high, whether that's school systems that say, don't trust your body when you have to use a facility, when, when you, when you feel that you have to eliminate, you, you don't, you just hold it, you suck it up, you go and I say, like, how many things culturally do we have that reinforce that message of your body doesn't get to speak? Your body, like even even going to the doctor, I I need you know I I don't feel good. I don't I don't I'm I'm not feeling myself. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. Um. Oh, here's a pill. You just take that pill. You shut it up and shut it down. And and that essentially, we're just going to numb you so you don't experience anything. And I'm I'm not saying you know medication is not cannot be helpful as much as I'm saying it's just interesting as i'm hearing you talk i'm just thinking through all of the systems we have in place to shut the body up mm-hmm. mm. and if it's true it's smarter than the brain how many times do we just make our body go away and it's reinforced even like i'm thinking like marriage therapy books and parenting books and we just keep telling it shut up you know don't don't trust yourself don't listen to it make it do things um, and this is uh, one of the unlearning processes that we go through, ah. the, you know, in the somatic healing, in a healing journey is that we have to lean into those uncomfortable feelings, which is, is so counterintuitive because our whole life we're taught not to. Don't cry. Crying right. is weakness. Come on, pull yourself together. Snap out of this depression. <laughs> but, you know, pull your socks up. Come on. You know, yeah. just get a shower and go out and sh- shake yourself out. Of this, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous. It really, really is because we don't have any knowledge of the nervous system. GP, you know, general doctors don't have that knowledge. No. Most of them, psychologists don't have that knowledge. I mean, what hope have we got if we've got people like me who have been working with people's brains for 20 years and I hadn't got a clue? What yeah. hope do we have as normal laymen to understand why we are the way we are and, you know, how, how, uh, with the with the washroom scenario, I wrote a very long message, very compassionate and, you know, the most calm message I could to the principal of the school that my children are in and to explain, you know, the effect of this teaching that they're doing, this oppression model that they're using this in education uh, now. And it's and it's not about, you know, wanting your children to, to, to you know, no one wants snowflakes either. You know, you do have to have balance again, as I said earlier, but, you know, teaching your children that they can't go to the bathroom when they need the bathroom because you as a teacher cannot handle the classroom and it's not a great learning model for children to tell them you know when you need a pee or something more just hold it ignore it now how do you expect them to to learn anything in the classroom when they're mm-hmm. having to make sure that they don't wet themselves i mean it's ridiculous how is this conducive to anything uh, what are we teaching people that you know if you've got a headache just you know take a tablet and go to work and even on the other end as a person who works with 
teenagers and children and whatever, for years I was taught, well, you have to be stricter and you have to be like this and you have to be like top down model. And if your nature isn't that, you are made to feel like you have to be something you're not, which is almost oppressive and mm-hmm. dictatorial. And, and it's only in the last few years where I'm like, no, that's not how I work. Doesn't mean I can't be firm. It doesn't mean I don't have boundaries. It doesn't mean I can't have consequences happen, but I can do it in my own way that fits with who I am without modeling something that's not who I am, which is the same thing of what we're talking about, honoring, you know, that thing, our own perspective, honoring our own body, you know, that says this is, I don't have to, like you were saying, as a, as a young adult, you were modeling a person like that wasn't who you are. And, and so I think that that's kind of interesting where, and I wonder if these systems have been set up by people that we would call predators. Right. You know, like, I just wonder. I would say yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's an easy way to control society, right? I mean, we're going really right. polit- political now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Even to the level of, you know, and this is not, again, it's not to shame people because, again, we do what we know until we know better and then hopefully mm-hmm. we do better, right? But, I mean, even I did it, you know, leave the baby to cry. To self-soothe. Well, the baby doesn't self-soothe. The baby feels like I'm crying, I'm crying, I'm crying. There is no one coming to pick me up and it goes into freeze. It hasn't gone to sleep because it self-soothes. It doesn't know how yeah. to, because, you know, especially in the first year of life, they are part, you know, even though they're outside your uterus, they're actually still part of the, you know, they, they need the mother usually to identify, you know, to, to, do, to have a sense of self. And when that mother doesn't come or with that person, the main caregiver does, doesn't come, what they're learning is that, you know, when I, when I'm in danger, no one comes. So that, that coping mechanism of shutting down becomes their kind of standard of response. So, you know, when I cry, I need to deal with it myself. And you see this then into adult, you know, making a very, very simplistic example mm-hmm. here. And it's, you know, we've all done it. I'm, I'm definitely put my hand up to having left the baby to cry because I didn't know any better, right? Mm-hmm. When I knew better, I knew, my instinct wasn't to do that. Mm-hmm. But the manuals, the, the experts said that, you know, just don't pick up the baby and just let them learn to self-soothe. <laughs> but they learn to self-soothe when you sit with them. That's yeah. called co-regulation, you know. And this is what a lot of us adults in our generations lack because we didn't have parents that had this information, so they left us to cry. Mm. Right. The self, you know, sense of self of abandonment happened and rejection. And then, you know, we had protector parts that meant, you know, be strong, don't cry, swallow your feelings, suppress. And now here we are, <laughs> 45 mm-hmm. years down the line, you know, having to go through all the trauma healing because, you know, we learned that we weren't safe and we weren't lovable and we weren't this, that and the other because the information wasn't out there in part, you know, we didn't know any better. But now we do. <laughs> and that's why it's so important to me to work with parents because, you know, and I think I mentioned this in the, in the first episode that we did together, you know, my, or maybe in private, I can't remember, but, you know, my, my end mission is to teach this education about the nervous system and how trauma affects and impacts and what trauma actually is, because there's a misconception about what trauma is as well in schools to prevention is <laughs> better than cure. I feel, I feel like I'm quoting some sort of like old advert for teeth cleaning I don't know <laughs> but prevention is better than cure right if we can um, if people can know this stuff about how the nervous system operates how we perceive things and it becomes struck a storm and how we can change all of that or even prevent that and we teach it to teachers who deal with young children and we teach it to parents prenatally before they become parents 
surely that's got to make a difference, right, for our world going forward. Um, I really, really believe that. Well, and we we also were with you in that belief, and uh, we are with you in the in the road that you travel, um, trying to get this information out to the people that need it most. And for us, that that's focused pretty heavily on the prey. And um, and boy, we couldn't just say thank you enough. Um, Where I know- can people find you? Yeah. Um, they can find me on social media. Facebook is my main platform and Instagram. I'm on both. Just look up uh, Carla Shohet, Carla with a C and Shohet, it's S-H-O-H-E-T. And I can share some links with you guys for people mm-hmm. that might want to be uh, joining Wild Mother, my um, group for cycle breaking mums who want to heal from trauma. And I, can I just share one last comment yes, for absolutely. any parent? mums or dads who uh, find themselves in that situation that you initially brought up PJ where you know basically the child's now triggering with their behaviors and and by the way children can seem quite highly narcissistic in the in the best sense of the word because yeah. before we develop our prefrontal cortex before age 7 and it takes on into adulthood until we can have that critical capacity we are very emotional beings and we perceive everything to be a reflection of us. That's how we get so easily traumatized in childhood, mm. right? Because we can't discern that, oh, you know, my parents shouted at me, but it's nothing to do actually with me being not good enough. It's because they've had a stressful day at work and they've got financial trouble. We can't do that. We can do that as adults when we look back, but the pain is already in there by then. So, you know, children are very much self-absorbed and narcissistic. And, and you know, if we have wounds as parents, then we are going to get triggered. But I just want you to know that if you're a parent trying to co-parent with a toxic partner, maybe you're separated, you're still together, whatever the situation, and you're noticing that your child is mirroring behaviors of that toxic parent, please don't despair. Please don't despair because you are enough as a role model and the child will be able to be looking at both parents and be discerning eventually in time. A lot of narcissistic behaviors from children are very, very normal and age appropriate depending on what age they are, you know, developmentally. Okay. It doesn't mean that your child's becoming a narcissist or a predator or an abusive little so-and-so, okay? They are, yes, watching and learning, but children are like kidneys, okay? And I want you to always remember this. With one healthy kidney, you can live a very, very good, healthy life. Okay? Then you are that healthy kidney for your child, regardless of what's going on around. So never forget that. Don't despair. It's amazing. And take the time to do your own healing journey. A hundred (laughs) percent. Get in touch. (laughs) And yeah, I was going to say with Carla. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Because there, there really aren't that many, there's more and more as you, you know, like you, I I could see you as a teacher of teachers and uh, as the teacher of teachers spread more teachers to be more teachers we will have more of this filter down, um, but there still is a really profound lack of information and, you're and knowledge. Right. I, there is there is a team with me as well. I've started to grow a, a, a small team so far. There's uh, three people in, in, in the moment, but it will grow because I'm being very, very selective and, you know, making sure that I am building it. Because there is, you know, I can't tell you how many DMs I get, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds every day. And I've got a relatively small following, if you like, in social media. You know, it's not huge. But there is so much need for more people that understand, that come from a trauma-informed lens and understand the nervous system that can help other people support. Because we heal ourselves. We're not healers. No one's a healer. The only person that can heal us is us. <laughs> we just need the information and the 
the, the tools to be able to do it. It certainly helps to have a guide along the pathway um, mm. to, to walk with you. And thank you for being that for us and for so thank many people. You. We appreciate thank it you, so Carla. much. This was great. It was so good. We'll talk to you again. <laughs> yeah, we're not letting you we're not letting you go so quick. Yeah. Anytime. Thanks, thank Carla. you. Thanks for listening, everyone. We wanted to say a big thank you to Carla for joining us and blowing our minds with her knowledge and compassion when talking about trauma and emotional abuse. Tune in next week to learn more from Carla and make sure you go check out her podcast, Time to Unlearn, where she helps you heal from your past, rediscover your true identity, and realize your full potential in your life. You can find us at Prey vs. Predator on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, on all major podcast platforms. We do our best to engage with our full online community. So if you have questions or comments about our show, please reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. Thank you.